Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Gospel Ensemble. Thank you. Uh, I hope each of you got a lollipop when you came in, a Tootsie Roll. Did you, did you notice you all got grape? Okay. So, so when you saw that we were going to be talking about how many licks, what did you first think of? When you said we were talking about that, how, you know, what did you think of? So I'm going to share with you what came to mind for me, and we're going to play for you a commercial that used to play about these things, where it talks about how many licks, and see if this might have come to mind for some of you. Mr. Cow. Yes? How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? I don't know. I always end up biting. Ask Mr. Fox, for he's much cleverer than I. Mr. Fox. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Why don't you ask Mr. Turtle, for he's been around a lot longer than I. Me? <laughs> I bite. Mr. Turtle, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? I never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl, for he is the wisest of us all. Mr. Owl. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? A good question. Let's find out. One, two, three, three. If there's anything I can't stand, it's a smart owl. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. Oh, goodness gracious. Any of you remember that from your childhood? Oh, yeah, I remember that. So we're talking about licks and biting during this series and trying to get them in the proper order for us as we, as we go through and talk about the Corinthians. Um, it will make sense, I promise. It will make sense, I promise. So just trust me for a little way as we go into this. Uh, but the, the Corinthians was, uh, was an early community that Paul had helped found, and then they were having all these challenges and trouble as, as life went on. Uh, and as they, were, as they were starting to try and form community, Paul was trying to help them out, help them out some. But you know, the Corinthians were a very talented group of people. You know, they came from all sorts of classes and diversity, and so they had a thriving community that had lots of energy and lots of passion. They could be going 100 miles an hour somewhere. They didn't even know where they were going, but they were going 100 miles an hour. Have you ever known any community like that? Just, I'm doing it. I don't know where I'm going to be at the end of it, but I'm going. So the Corinthians had energy and excitement and enthusiasm, and they needed some help with direction. And so they brought with them much of what they had already known in life. You know, some had followed Apollo. Some had followed Diana. Some had followed Aphrodite. They had a lot of diversity to, to worship within and in Corinth. And, and so they brought all of this with them into the new community. They brought the competition they'd had between their cults. They brought the competition they had between classes and other things so that you knew how good you were. They brought it all right into the church. Now, we would never do that here, would we? I know some of us are Baptist. I know some of us are Roman Catholic. In fact, did you know in our congregation of all the new members that come in, usually at least a third come from some history with the Roman Catholic Church? And the other third come from some history with the Baptist Church, some version of it, Southern, American, Northern Baptist Church. 
And you know, you bring the stuff with you that you had before you got here. You know? And sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and don't be surprised if someday I say, when you come up and you say, oh, Troy, I just love it. This is the best worship experience we had. And I'll learn you and say, oh, you grew up in the Baptist church, didn't you? Because <laughs> today we were a little Baptist. And someday you'll come in and you'll say to me, oh, yeah, Troy, it's the best worship we ever had. And I said, you grew up in the Pentecostal church, didn't you? We had some spirit moving today, and here it is. And so, the church of Corinth was just like that. What was the right way? What was the best way? What was the best gift to have? So here, Paul is finally getting to the point of this book. He's waited 11 chapters. We're in chapter 12. He's been working his way up to it. For anyone to write 11 chapters before they get to the point, something's going on in this community he wants to address before he gets here to chapter 12 and chapter 13, the center and the purpose of the book of Corinthians. You know, he, he's noticed that they are competing. They brought in from the world they're used to the hierarchical model, the model where someone has to be up and someone has to be down, and everyone has to be better than somebody else. And so they've got these gifts. They've got these gifts that have been given. Like grace. No one earned any of them. They were given by God. A gift. Not bought, not purchased, not trained, but a gift. And so like grace, they've started ordering them in order of what is the best. Down to what is the least. And some scholars note that the ones who spoke in tongues happened to be among the wealthy of the congregation. And so, because they obviously were blessed because they were wealthy, obviously the gift they got was the most important. And so they started to order their gifts by what was best to the next, to the next, to the next. And Paul is going, oh my goodness, how am I going to handle this? These are my best donors to church. And they're acting like this. How am I going to get them on board? How am I going to get them moving along with what the Spirit did to this community? What the Spirit did for this community? So he's taken 11 chapters to build it up, and he finally gets to chapter 12, and then he starts talking to some of the most powerful people in this congregation, and he starts saying, you know, your gift isn't any better than anybody else's. Take a seat. You know, your gift isn't better than anybody else's. Did you hear that in chapter 12? Did you hear that? Your gift isn't better than anybody else's. He was a little bit nicer than it, than that. You know, because he wasn't trying to chase anybody away. He wasn't trying to chase anybody away. All were welcome into the new church, just not everything they knew before they got there continued to be welcome. If our ways of understanding power, our ways of being in the world don't match the gospel of Christ, then we have to reconsider what we bring to church. You know, and even today, we wonder, is what's given to us, do we use it the way the Corinthians did to compete with one another and divide, rather than complete one another and provide? Do we do it to compete and divide, rather than complete and provide, do we bring our gifts, our talents, who we are, our best, for the common good, as Paul is asking us to 
to do. You know, because when we talk about gifted these days, we usually think of someone exceptional, someone talented, someone really brilliant, either at, a, at playing a musical instrument or singing a song or an athlete or just these people that then are no longer a part of the norm. They're set apart from the norm. And that's what gifted has seemed to mean in our day. But Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is egalitarian. Let me say that one more time. The Holy Spirit is egalitarian. The Holy Spirit did not leave any one of you out at all. The Holy Spirit visited each and every one of you, and the Holy Spirit gave each and every one of you a gift. And they're not to be ordered up and down. They're to be received and they're to be shared for the common good. Whatever that gift is that you have this day is to be shared for the common good. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, Troy, I'm not gifted. I don't have anything to offer. And I want to tell you that Paul tells you the Holy Spirit has given you a gift. You may need some help finding out what it is. And you may need some help sharing it. But you have already been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to receive it and find out what it is? You ready to look a little bit beneath the wrapper, maybe? See, because all what we're doing today with this Tootsie Pop is taking the wrapper off. We're not getting any further down. Some of you may want to go ahead and start doing those three licks and taking a big bite. My husband, Walter, said he did that in college and lost half a tooth. Sometimes we just got to be patient with how these things emerge. You know, we have to be patient as we determine and discover and explore what is beneath the wrapper. I know some of us look at this wrapper and we recognize it as grape. And we thank the Gospel Ensemble for wearing grape today, even though they didn't know. <laughs> and I should have thanked JB in the first service because her hair is grape right now. But... Um, we look at this and we pull off the wrapper and we are pretty confident that it's going to be a grape Tootsie Pop. Pretty sure that that's what's there. And then some of us in our lives know that that wrapper hasn't matched either the gender or something we were born with doesn't match what people see. Maybe we discover something in life that knows that the wrapper isn't good for us anymore. And we have to look beneath the wrapper. So if you're grape on the outside and grape on the inside, well, keep on licking and let's keep discovering what's there. If you're grape on the outside, but cherry on the inside, let's let you discover who you are. And let you name yourself for us before God who you are. Because sometimes the rappers just don't match. So this egalitarian spirit that blesses each and every one the same, you can't get out of here without knowing it, that you have been blessed. You may know some people in your life that showed some of the gifts of the spirit to you. I believe God releases these gifts at the time they're needed sometimes. 
right in the moment of despair, you discover there's a gift you never knew you had. Or someone shows up with exactly what is needed. As we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday on tomorrow, I remembered of the story of the Montgomery bus boycott. And in the bus boycott, King did not know what he was getting himself into. This was supposed to be a short little thing. And it lasted and lasted and lasted. And you know, the people who knew how hard it was stepped back. All the pastors who'd been there for a while, they ran away. They let the young guy do it. Because he didn't know any better, right? He had some gifts to discover. And so they started this action, the Montgomery bus boycott, not knowing how long it would take. Do we know how long it would take? It was almost a year or more, wasn't it? It was a year or more. Walking instead of riding. 18 months, a year and a half. So he didn't know what he was getting into, but just started, and the gifts started showing up that were needed. There happened to be in that city a person, a military uh, soldier who had come back, and in the army, what he had done was make sure that the motor pools operated efficiently. And so he spent his time in the RV sending out cars, getting cars back, making sure the cars were fixed, making sure the cars were all gassed up. And we're talking about hundreds of cars for the service. And I guess they weren't cars, were they? They would have been Jeeps or other things in that language. And so this person said, I used to do this in the military. Because of that one person, they were able to sustain the Montgomery Gus Bus boycott as long as they were able to. Because he knew where the carpools had to go. He knew what it took to keep everyone motivated. He knew what it took to be gassed up and ready when it was needed. The gift was revealed at the time it was needed in that situation. And they were able to last for 18 months for justice. Sometimes in your own life, someone has shown up right at the most important moment. I remember a few people in my life. I remember my Aunt Babs. Barbara, my Aunt Babs, she had been a cheerleader in high school, and she brought that with her her whole life. She was just excited. She was a Pied Piper. If you didn't get excited around her, something was wrong with you, you know? And so she would take you into doing things you never thought you'd do, skydive, you know, climb a mountain, anything. Aunt Babs could make you do it and carry you along and make you think you were having fun. Whether you were or not, you know, she could make you think you were having fun all the time. And, and if you look just a bit beneath the wrapper of Aunt Babs, you also knew that she was molested as a child and that her husband beat her throughout their marriage. Just beneath the wrapper, just a little bit of what you saw on the surface of a Pied Piper was a woman who, even in the midst of these challenging times, even if she couldn't do it for herself, she did it for people around her. It was a gift that kept her sane. And I remember this young little Polish fellow named Lucas in Chicago. L-U-C-A-Z-S, something like that. And Lucas was a massage therapist. And I had been having trouble with my back, and so I finally decided for the first time in my life to go get a massage. I didn't want anybody's hands all over my body that I didn't know. <laughs> I'd stayed away from that for at least 35 years. Why should I go do that now? 
You know, that was just something I just wasn't interested in at all. But I was told that's what I needed to do. So around the corner from the little apartment we were in, Walter and I was this little massage place, and Lucas from Poland was one of the massage therapists there. I still don't know how he did it. Sometimes it felt like this guy shorter than me and weighed about the same, weighed a ton. Somehow he was up in the air like a gymnast with his hand on my back, just like that. He must have been doing a pirouette. It, must, it felt like. It felt like, but he brought healing to me over a year of going to see him for massages. And I finally got over that, but not with strangers still, it's there. So then I learned that he was deported back to Poland because of immigration issues and some challenges with his family. Just beneath the wrapper was a story but he shared his gift in a way that brought healing to me and to others. And then I want to share with you the story of Ellie Piombino. Ellie had cancer, and Ellie was one of these people who had a sense of life that you just were drawn to. And she made, this dish she made sound terrific. It was called pasta fazoo. And Ellie would get some people could come over to the house, and she said, I'm having some pasta for zoo, you got to come over. Come, come, come over. Here she is, lack of energy and motivation from chemotherapy, and here she is, pasta for zoo, come on, let's have some pasta for zoo. You know, so I went to the house, I said, what's the big deal with this pasta for zoo? But I was there because Ellie was saying, you had to come and have it. It was this great family recipe, this pasta for zoo. Her last name was Piombino, and so she thought this was the greatest thing. I looked at that dish and I thought, that's nothing but noodles and beans. <laughs> that's noodles and beans. But Ellie made it a feast. Ellie made it something more than. Now, I'm telling you these stories because these are gifts. You each have a gift. You may not even know that it's a gift in your life. And it may show up in a variety of ways. It could show up in your anger and righteous indignation. It could show up in your humor. It could show up in your stubbornness and honoriness. God can use it for good. Right down there, is that the honorary one? <laughs> okay. God can use it for good. So the Holy Spirit has given these gifts to each and every one of us to use for the common good. If you're ornery, put it to good use for God. You know? Goodness gracious. Our individual freedom and rights always come to play in how they interact with the common good. Paul, in this scripture, uses the word one and same nine times in this small passage and even more in the chapter, saying all of you that are looking for how this is so different, you need to recognize it's the one spirit. It's the one God that activates and gives all these gifts of grace to each and every one, not missing one of you. The one God. Give up this competition. Give up this need for up and down and this need for a hierarchy because the spirit gives it to everyone. Everyone. We, O oh church, have created so many insurmountable barriers 
to folks that just want to be loved. May we not do it again. May we know that the Spirit is for all and all are welcome. I tried to be a teacher one time. And in my class, I felt like I was gifted as a teacher. And I had some parts of it. But I knew I was never going to be a good teacher with young people. When I had a student come to me and had done something so awful he needed to be punished. And all I could think of was, that was smart. Have you ever been with a kid like that? I was with them and I said, you know, I need to reward him. That was some clever thinking. How did he make that happen? You know, I said, okay, well, maybe I might not be a teacher. <laughs> At least for this age group. I was just so impressed. I couldn't get over being impressed to do the right thing a teacher is supposed to do at that time. How is the Spirit showing up in diversity and unity in our lives? I don't believe God calls us to be a melting pot not to get all blended together and have no individuality and have one taste that's all the same. Maybe it's more like a crisp salad where everyone gets to retain their identity. You can be the pomegranate seed, you can be the pepper, you can be all these things and not lose who you are as you bring your gifts to service for the common good. At the interfaith pride service last year, there was a young woman who spoke a different group of people organized it and, and did a great job. And she was Muslim and she was in her 20s. And she got up there to share her story of what it meant like to be Muslim in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. And points of difference and points of tension and where she felt a connect or a disconnect. And as she shared her story, I felt the spirit move in the room. I felt the spirit move within her. I felt it connect to me. So what if beneath the wrapper of our variety of faith experiences, there is one spirit that animates it all. There is one spirit that gives to all. Spiritual gifts. What if beyond our own faith, Paul said that the gifts are given, you can test them if they help you fall deeper in love with Jesus, you can test them if they help you fall deeper in love with God and if you use them for the common good. What if Paul started something that was even bigger than he could think of at the moment, that even beyond those who know Jesus, the Spirit's at work. The Spirit is giving the gifts for each and every one to use for the common good. Her gift of vulnerability and honesty and authenticity was precious. And it was God-given for everyone else in the room. So how will you go out this week from this place of worship? You may need a friend to help you know what your gifts are, but you have them. Will you use them for the common good? Will you use them not to compete and divide? Will you use them to complete and provide for God's love? in this world for the common good. It is our task, people of resurrection, are you up to it? Check beneath the wrapper. The gift is yours. Amen.